I think the beauty of queerness is that I don't have to define it. And that was like, that's what really drew me to that identity. Like I don't, like for me, it's not about sexuality or romantic relationships. It's how I define my entire life. So it is my sexuality. It's part of my religion. It's part of my politics. It encompasses everything. For me, queerness is just being authentically me. Welcome to Queering Contemplation, a podcast about the intimate and innate ways contemplation is queer. These conversations will examine the ways contemplative life invites us into expressions beyond boxes and categories, moving us towards love, embodiment, liberation, delight, and wonder. I'm your host, Cassidy Hall, award-winning filmmaker, podcaster, and author of the forthcoming book, Queering Contemplation, Finding Queerness in the Roots and Future of Contemplative Spirituality. Welcome to the conversation. I am overjoyed that Asada de la Cruz agreed to be interviewed today on this podcast. And let me tell you a little bit about her and her work. Asada de la Cruz is a black and indigenous queer mother. She's the executive director of Savage Daughters, and you can find their booth right over there. So make sure you stop by while you're here at the Goose. And she's also the director of community outreach for Soul Force which is an organization for queer folks reclaiming our spirits from weaponized religion. She is certified and trained in a variety of embodied practices, including birth work, spirit work, heart work, body work. Asada, welcome to the conversation. Thank you. So one of the ways I love to begin is by asking you how you define and experience the word queer in your own life, in your spirituality, your identity and your work. I know that's a lot to unpack, so go where you will. Oh gosh, okay. I think the beauty of queerness is that I don't have to define it. And that was like, that's what really drew me to that identity. Like I don't, like for me, it's not about sexuality or romantic relationships, it's how I define my entire life. So it is my sexuality, it's part of my religion, it's part of my politics, it encompasses everything. And I think so much of it is, for me, queerness is just being authentically me. And so I don't have to fit into this particular box and it just spreads across everything. Yeah, amen to that. (laughs) And what's your relationship with contemplation and or contemplative life? Or perhaps you describe that in a different way or with different words. I don't think I necessarily, for like my personal spiritual practice, I've never used the word contemplative, but for me, being both like black and indigenous, everything in our life is based on ceremony. So contemplative life of um, being completely focused on identifying Mm -hmm. God and finding the presence of God in everything because it's just a part of my everyday life. So with ceremony, um, it can be from like the time I wake up in the morning with like meditation, I do yoga daily. Everything we do, and particularly with my family, is surrounded by the moon. And so like every moon cycle, like having ceremonies, just like dancing in the morning with my daughter is like ceremony for me. And that's a big, dance is a really big way, she's three, and that she connects with the divine. So like that's part of it. So for me, I think being able to infuse spirituality into every single thing I do makes me focused on God at all times. So my entire life is contemplative. So but I've never actually, I don't feel I've used that word, but like it is infused in everything. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you mentioned contemplation as ceremony and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm also hearing like rituals and Mm -hmm. practice. And so I wonder if you could unpack a little bit 
maybe the ways you see those things is different? Ceremony, ritual, practice? And okay. I think for me, because often I think the reason I've never identified with like contemplation or like contemplative life, because it seemed very inaccessible and that it was something that you had to like really work towards and like achieve at a certain point. And for me, having a connection to the divine in any way is just an everyday part of your life. So every single thing is ceremony. And so it's not necessarily us getting out cushions and sitting there and meditating for like two hours. Like for me, ceremony is just when I'm cooking dinner, like that's an offering that I'm giving to my family that like is blessed by God. Or when I'm doing like bedtime rituals with my kid, like every single thing in my life, I find a way to connect back to the divinity that's within me that I feel that I got from God or our creator. So it's just, I don't, so when I say ritual, I use it very, very loosely. It's just every single like part of my daily life. I love that though, because you're also signifying this deep internal awareness or this, um, Jim Finley calls it the inner stance that allows the re least resistance to the gift of the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, do you catch yourself pausing in that and saying, yes, I'm surrendering to the divine in this moment, or yes, I'm, you know, taking a moment to make sure that I'm aligned in this moment. I think now with being a mother, I find myself stopping because I find myself trying to explain it to my daughter and getting her to recognize it. But in my own just personal everyday life, like I don't think I do. I think it's something that has always been so innately ingrained in me that like I am part of the divine. I have a relationship with the divine, so I don't have to be intentional about being like this is my prayer time this is my meditation time like I'm doing this for God it's just every single thing in my life is based on that and for me I think that's what contemplation and like having like a contemplative especially spiritual life is supposed to be that it's just supposed to be infused in everything so it's just second nature you don't have to be intentional about it yeah yeah so between birth work spirit work heart work body work can you share the ways in which this, this kind of inner stance and queerness perhaps inform these ways of being as embodied experiences and practices? The thing with, like, first of all, like taking apart like embodiment, for me that it's finding something tangible to represent like the spiritual. Um, so for me, embodying parts of like my spirituality, that's where a lot of like the modalities that I practice like come into. And so for me, I do divide it into like heart work, spirit work, body work, mind work. But the importance of it is getting, being able to show people how it is all connected. And so that you can't do body work without doing spirit work, without mm. focusing your mind, without focusing on spirit. Um, so much of what the work that I do specifically with Savage Daughters is getting people to recognize that all of this is medicine that is given to us from like the creator. And it's not like your medicine is your plants, it's your dance, it's your music, it's mm -hmm. all of that comes into medicine. Um, and so for the way that queerness informs all of that is again, not being able to put things into a box of not of being able to say that this is my medicine, this is my spiritual practice. And today that looks like me sitting outside and journaling like with my kid or tomorrow it can look like I'm doing two hours of yoga like it looks different every single day and I think what queerness for me represents is being able to wake up each day and just be able to authentically be myself of like however that presents that day that it's not this binary of that it has to be this or that it can be whatever I am in that moment yeah. um and I think so I think that's how queerness plays into all of that for me yeah yeah and I wonder if you could speak a little bit to your work as a medicine woman mm. in the sense of 
you know, in some way, do you feel like that work is a queering of medicine or modern medicine, but also taking us back to the roots and the truth of, of healing modalities? I think it can be both because for me, the queerness of it is being able to separate myself from like, I don't want to say the norm, but like what everyone else is doing and be like, I don't want to do this. Like, this is what's important to me and this is what I'm going to do. Um, And I think because of the way the world is now, that like traditional view of like medicine is not what we have now. And so we don't recognize music and plants and all of that like as medicine and that's what I want to bring people back to of recognizing that you have to take care of your heart your mind your spirit your body all of that it's not just pharmaceuticals it's not just whatever like all the things are medicine all of these are ways that we take care of our body um and so with being a medicine woman for me I feel my goal is to expand what people think of that to expand what people think of as medicine and for me again that's what queerness is queerness is expansiveness it's getting people to see things like outside of this like small box that we put ourselves in yeah can you maybe share the story of how you came to this work or yeah so the story the story is a lot of me fighting against it and then finally just being like okay this is just what I have to do but um so within my family my family is um I identify as black and indigenous but specifically my family is Yoruba and Choctaw um, and my family is very, very traditional. We still live on our ancestral land, like we do communal living. And within that, everyone in the community has different roles. And there's ceremony that is performed as soon as you're born, and that kind of determines what your role is like in the community. And for me, it was medicine woman. For my mom, it was medicine woman. For my grandmother, it was. How old were her. you when that was? Dis- I was, so we, when you, I guess it's considered kind of like a baptism if you want to like compare it to like sure. Christian faith. Um, but that's usually done when it's supposed to be before you're a year old. So it was like maybe nine or 10 months is wow. the first time it's done. And then you have, I guess, again, comparing it to like different things of like a Christianity, um, like you have like your confirmation, like when you get to kind of like that age of reason. And for us is when you have your first moon time, which is like your menstrual cycle. And so I was 12. Yeah. Okay. And so that was when we had the confirmation that, yes, I was supposed to be a medicine woman. And then you start training with your elders. And so I was lucky that for my elder, it was my granny that I lived with. So at 12 was when I started training to be a medicine woman. And it was amazing and wonderful. And, and like, and I loved it until I got to that age of, I want to fit in with everyone else. I don't want to be out foraging in the woods. That's weird. Like, I want to go, <laughs> like, hang out. And so I rejected it a lot towards the end of high school and like completely ran away from it from so, for so long and I went to school for journalism and communication like I wanted to work in the music industry I wanted to tour and be with bands and do all these things and so I did that for like almost a decade and then it was when I got married and got pregnant with my daughter something shifted inside of me of that like all these things that I was running from I didn't want my daughter to run from that. Like I recognize mm. the importance of it and I recognize the divinity and like the gift of being a medicine woman and I wanted her to have that. Um, and so in very like cliche, like woo fashion, I'm like literally in the mountains <laughs> and like crying and screaming to God and all these things. And it was very, very clear to me that like I was supposed to move back home to our land. I was supposed to raise my daughter like with our family. And so mm. I literally, like I was in the mountains of like in Arizona and um, I came back home and I had my daughter and I like came back into my community and that's when I started practicing medicine again. 
and then started passing it on to her. And so actually a lot of the products and stuff I make with my apothecary, and that's where the name came from of Savage Daughters is because like it's me and her. And then it's also my mom and my grandmother. And so she at three years old is probably a much better herbalist than me. And so <laughs> I am super grateful that I listen. And I think a lot of that goes back to like, having that direct connection with God and it being infused in everything I do. So even in this like anger of just being in the mountains and hating everything about my life, like I could so very clearly hear like God's voice telling me of like, this is what I was supposed to do. Mm. And so I moved back home and here we are. <laughs> yeah. 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 And when did the identity of queerness come into the picture for you? I, um, I mean, I was one of those, I feel like oddballs that like, I just, always knew and it was always like there like my official like coming out was when I was 12 years old um so it was like I was like I got my moon time yeah the ceremony and they're like you're a medicine woman I was like oh also I'm gay (laughs) so it was like all like one big thing um and so at the time I don't think I had the language to understand like queerness it was just I knew there was something different I knew I was repulsed by men and like I knew like all of these things but I didn't know exactly like what that meant so I view things just in terms of like a sexual like identity and so I like identified as lesbian and then I think it wasn't until probably uh, like the beginning of college where I really started to explore that it's not just about like sexuality that like it can be more expansive than that that like and I started identifying as queer because I realized that it was it was the way I view the world entirely it was the way like my politics reform it was my view on medicine friendships community everything was based in this expansiveness of that I didn't want to be put into this box and I didn't want to have to choose like these binaries yeah what do you think your work a lot of your work focuses on embodiment mm-hmm and also teaching people to learn how to be embodied and experience their own bodies or encounter their own bodies, perhaps. And I wonder what you think embodiment can teach us about, well, about queerness, about contemplation or about our inner sanctuary, whatever, whatever that might be. So with embodiment, it is about, for me, it's about finding a very physical like tangible thing to represent like something else and so specifically that's what I do with body work of that like we work through the spirit and the mind and the heart and then like here's a physical thing that you can do to help you like with that and so me in my personal life like it's a lot of yoga it's a lot of um and the reason I teach is because I think First off, I feel that you have an obligation that like if you have this knowledge, you have these connections, Mm -hmm. you know all these things, like this is not information that you're supposed to hold yourself. Um, Like culturally what we believe is that that knowledge is a gift and that knowledge will be taken away from you if you don't share that with other people. Um, And so that's why I specifically why I teach these things. But in terms of like the embodiment for me, it's a lot of I teach people yoga. I teach people about returning back to this connection to the land because for me that's the greatest way that like God or the creator or whatever you want to call it connects to us is through like the physical land. And so teaching people like exactly what that means and how you can, it sounds like you be a part of the land, how that can be a relative. And so that's through like foraging. That's through like, I do a lot of retreats in the, in like in nature, we do moon circles. I do a lot of just ceremonies and stuff in general. I do a lot of like root work, which is like spiritual work with medicine for people. 
And so, yeah, I think those are just all like physical ways that we can find to embody like our relationship, like with the divine. Those are ways that we can actually show that. Yeah. Would you say that you see your experience, some of that, some of that innate connectivity missing from like an event like this? I mean, we're, we're on this incredible um, land and spaciousness and you don't have to go there if you don't want to. I see your face. <laughs> I was like, how? And we can cut this, so don't worry. I was like, can this be edited out? Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it can at the end. Oh, no. Um, I think, okay, well, first of all, I think this is my first time being in a space like this. So, sure. like, I'm coming into it totally new. And I usually have hesitancy coming into spaces where there are a lot of of people that I'm trying to figure out how to tell Kelly worth this, um, that all they look the same, but I don't. A lot see of white my, people. Okay, yes. Okay, I'll so, say it. I'll say it. All right. And so I like so I'm always hesitant, especially when it comes to, like spirituality, because I have seen in my experience there has been a lot of talk of decolonizing but not actually decolonizing. Yeah. And so there is usually a lot of, oh, I really want to do great. I want to do these things, but I'm only willing to do that like to a certain extent. Like there are a lot of vendors here that are using traditional indigenous medicine that are not indigenous. Yeah. Like, and so I feel like there's a lot of, when you get into spaces specifically like Goose where I feel people are deconstructing and are trying to figure like doing a lot of spiritual healing and like find their paths, they will go into a lot of modalities that they do not particularly understand. And whereas I feel that everyone has a right and like an honor and you should deconstruct and like heal from spiritual violence however you need to, there still is this like level of respect that has to be like given and earned with like using certain modalities and I don't and again this is my first day so I'm not saying this is representative of like the whole thing and it's just I was kind of disappointed that there was a lot of talk of like white supremacy and decolonization and then coming to the space and seeing that like okay but you kind of are still doing all of those things yeah 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 I mean and, and is that well, I mean, that could be a whole separate conversation, I guess, because I'm, I'm thinking about, like, is that discomfort and ignorance? I mean, it's got to be both. It's not one or the other. But I think it's definitely ignorance. I have not seen anything done maliciously. But yeah. I think for me, what's kind of hard, and I don't think there's an answer to the question. Like, I don't know. It's like, how do you, where does, like, the responsibility lie of that? Like, yes, I do feel very called to like being an educator and like teaching things to people but it's kind of hard I don't feel a space like this is like really set up for it's like in theory you have a 50 minute workshop like or whatever like you can't really like teach people decolonization and stuff in that and so I just I would have wished there was more leading up to this before like that we're anti-white supremacy, we're anti all these things, we're like put in like a nice little like brochure, but like there was no work leading up to that to like ensure that actually like was the case. And I think a lot of that has to do with having people present like at the table that are like Mm. planning and organizing that aren't white. (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, along 
along the lines of an event, like discussing an event like this and the ways in which it can be queered for the better, for lack of expression. This also, there's so much advertisement and social media and promotion and shiny things and free things. And how, how do we engage in our lives today that are so immersed in discourse and chaos and you know, having to promote ourselves in order to be heard or seen, mm. how do we really remain true to that, to that inward sanctuary, that contemplative life, that true center of ourselves, you know, without losing ourselves to the signage and the, the bright, shiny things? I think so much of that is rooted, for me, is rooted in community. That, like, I have people that keep me in check. Like, I'm not, I'm accountable to other people. Like, I live in community with other people. I have, like, really, like, close, like, good friends that are, can be like, hey, like, I noticed this. Like, I think so much of, like, the problem that we have as a whole, like, in our world is that everything is so individualistic. And so we are kind of floating out there on our own. So we can get lost and wrapped into the shiny things and social media and pretending to be whatever because we're not accountable to anybody else. And so I feel like the key thing for me is being in community with other people. Like that's the best way for me to keep myself grounded is that I'm accountable to other people. And yet our society is obsessed with being independent and lone wolf mode. And, and I mean, and I think that's, I mean... And what it's hard for me to like understand that because to me it's just like okay, but clearly this is not working. So why don't y'all try something else? Yeah. Like this is not this has not gotten us anywhere. And I, I feel very and I recognize it's definitely a privilege to come from the family that I did where we do hold so true to like our traditional teachings and our traditional beliefs. And so we are in community. Like I've got like 45 first cousins and we all live in the same like five mile like radius. And so, and I recognize that that's a privilege and especially when it comes to like queer identity, I know so many people, like, I mean, you don't have a blood family. Like a lot of people have had to lose that. And that's why I am very intentional about when, like, and I use the word family, that like, you can choose your family. You can cultivate the life that you want. Like, it doesn't have to be your blood family, but that community is very important. Like, we're not meant to do life alone, like, at all. Like, yeah. we're meant to be in community with each other. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing that you've mentioned is that you live with fibromyalgia, endometriosis, and lupus. And which has made you an advocate for the Spoonie community. And how has this impacted the way that you've tended to your inner life and perhaps, you know, almost maybe been forced to slow down? Yeah, um, well, first of all, it is a daily struggle because it is not my natural tendency <laughs> to slow down. <laughs> I am definitely that overachiever, and that's, like, part of my decolonizing work is like recognizing that it is okay for me to slow down and like and you're right like bringing up that like that was something that forced me like I didn't have a choice like I um like I was diagnosed with like fibromyalgia and endometriosis when I was very very young but it wasn't until I had my daughter that um we found out I had lupus and so much of my advocacy like comes from that of that I'd had this problem for a very very long time and I was completely ignored by doctors mm. and I and it wasn't until my daughter almost died during childbirth that we were able to finally have someone listen to me and figure out that I had lupus and I started realizing like how common that story was with women in general but specifically black women and so that was where a lot of the advocacy comes in and that's why I feel 
like social media and things like that are super important to me because that was where I was able to have that representation of showing people of like, hey, like this happened to me. This happens to a lot of people. This is not like a one time thing. And it helped, first of all, raise awareness, but also get other people to realize that they're not alone. Like that was, again, that whole community aspect of it, of people being able to like hear my story and recognize that like, okay, this happened to me too. Or also like, which has happened a lot and I feel super grateful for of people being like, hey, I've noticed all these signs like in myself as well. And them being able to get to the doctor and advocate for themselves. So they're not in a situation where their kid's almost dying. So it has forced me to slow down like in my own personal life a lot because I physically can't. But I feel like it's a lot of the actual motivation and driving force for everything else I do of like when it comes to like querying my identity of like fighting against white supremacy of like all those things because I see how heavily like the Spoonie community is affected by that. Yeah. Yeah, this importance of accountability, interdependence, I'm sensing like this theme, right, of of all these things. And you also talk about the importance of mutual aid and the ways in which that can be a subversion of capitalism, subversion of the status quo, and one might argue a way to queer the way that we exist in the world Mm. by the things that we offer each other. So I wonder if you could share first maybe about what mutual aid is for folks that may not know and then also kind of explore the ways that has been another way you've shown up as queer. I think mutual aid is tricky because first (laughs) I want to say that I don't feel that mutual aid is the ultimate answer of like what's going to save us because there is a very real systemic like issue at play of like I don't think mutual aid is going to dismantle capitalism like at all and I feel like it is kind of a cop-out and not causing Mm. like our governments and everything else to be held accountable if we're just like oh we're just gonna do mutual aid like we've got it um but with mutual aid like and just in a simple sense it's just us being in community with each other and recognizing a need and if we can like fulfill that need like we're sharing it so we're not we're not dependent on a government or like other systems like we're able to like ultimately take care of ourselves and the reason like mutual aid is so important to me is because again with like community living like that was all we knew like we are very like we take care of like each other and I noticed it my love for it really grew actually like within queer communities of being like in communities of having friends that were at a young age kicked out of their homes from their families because of their identity or just don't have like a community at all like we had to kind of create like our own little families and like take care of each other and so I started seeing it on a small level there and then where I live, like, I put, there's a hurricane, like, every week for, like, 10 months out of the year, almost. And so being able to see the way, like, we have continuously been let down by all of these organizations that are put into place to help us in times of, like, tragedy. And so we've had to come together and, like, raise our own money and do our own repairs and, like, do all these things. And so it made me realize that, the capability is there like everyone has something that they can offer whether it's money or time or service or like some sort of skill like it's all there and we need to figure out a way to use those skills to like actually help each other instead of again going back to this very individualistic like life where it's just like oh I'm able to do all these things and like you're just keeping it to yourself because that's not the way that communities are formed 
So it's like, I, I love the beauty of it and I love it on a very like small scale and I am very much committed to mutual aid, but I also think it's very important to point out that we still have a very systemic issue of like capitalism and that mutual aid is not gonna topple. Yeah, yeah. And you have a very rich, well, obviously spiritual and also religious history. You mentioned you're Catholic-ish. Ish. <laughs> and so I wonder when you think about those kinds of structures, or you think theologically, because you studied theologically, what might you mention that needs to be queered in those spaces or queered? I mean, we talked about queering this space. We talked yeah. about you know, queering the ways we, we work with each other. Theologically, what might you think could be queered or should be queered other than everything? I was just like all of it. Like, I don't, um, wow. Um, I, I don't know. Like I'm just thinking about this now for the first time that I don't, I don't know if religion specifically can be queered any other way than completely dismantling it. Like, I, I think, like, certain things get to a certain point where you kind of just have to tear it all down and, like, start over. And I think religion as a whole has gotten to that point. Like, I do identify as Catholic-ish, emphasis, like, on the ish part. <laughs> and I think so much of it for me is I grew up, well, I grew up with a very complex, like, religious, like, background, because, like, my mom is Catholic, but my dad is Muslim, and so we grew up, like, in both of those, um, but with my mom's family, it was more, like, Marie Laveau voodoo Catholic than, like, Pope Francis Catholic, <laughs> so it's, like, the Catholic Church doesn't yeah. think we're Catholic, <laughs> yeah. but, like, we still, like, have that identity, and so I, I hold so strongly to that Catholic label, because for me, like, that was what my granny called herself. That was what my... So regardless of that, it doesn't look like the Catholic Church at all. Like, that was, like, the name that they held on to. And I love so much of the beauty of how my family, as, like, slaves, were able to hold true to their the root of their spiritual practices and were able to hide that in Catholicism for, like, their survival. And so whereas today I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be burned at the stake by like the church, but like things could change at any moment. So I am free to practice. Like I still find so much beauty and survival in the way they were able to practice their faith. So mm. I still identify as Catholic, but like nothing in my life I feel is like reminiscent of the Catholic church. Like an um, ancestral connection. Yeah, it's your more identity. of a, yeah. Okay. And so, but in terms of, so in my personal life, I feel like I have queered it. Like it's, I have that label, but like I'm totally doing it the way is authentic to me and the way it has worked for my family. And then I don't really care that the Catholic church probably has excommunicated me and I just didn't get the actual letter in the mail because I've moved so much. But like, but it's still like, I'm able to hold on to that identity. And for me, like that is the ultimate queerness of that I don't care what you think like you don't yeah. get to define my religion you don't get to define like who I am at all like this is what I feel that I am and so this is it like it's not up to you so I think so much of it is gonna have to come at like a personal level like that I don't and I don't know if it's just like my pessimism or my church trauma but like I just don't foresee like religion like as an institution like that being able to be queered I think it's going to have to be on an individual level yeah or burn down or burn down yeah. which I am I'm not advocating that but <laughs> like, I feel like I need to like 
preface that, but yeah. No. Uh, one last question, and then I'd love to open it up to the room, so be thinking if anybody has a question in this space. My last question is, what inspires you or gives you hope about queerness and spirituality? My kid. Like, my, my absolutely, my kid. Um, I, have, I have a three-year-old daughter that's going on, like, 13, and I... I feel like I had a very great upbringing, but there was still like so much that I felt I lacked just because my mom didn't have an understanding of like certain things. And so I have been very intentional in the way that like I've raised her. And so there's so many like little things that like I've recognized her doing. And it made me realize that like, okay, like these things can be unlearned. Like, it's not, like there is hope for like, we can have another generation where like, this is just the norm for them. Like, I love the fact that, like, my daughter at three years old, like, she goes up to people and asks them, what is your word? And it's, like, asking them, like, their pronouns. Like, that's how, like, she asks people. She's like, what is your word? Like, Mm -hmm. I love that, like, it is not, we're probably going to get kicked out of church, but, like, at her Sunday school, (laughs) she was, after our pride event locally, she was able to, like, go on stage with one of the drag queens and have this whole, like, big thing, and so Sunday morning at church, they asked about her weekend, and she was like, I was at a drag show, and, like, (laughs) so it's, like, it is all these things are very normal to her, and, like, and I love the fact that she was just, like, I'm at church. I love God. I'm praying. Like, I'm also, like, I love, like, and celebrate queerness. And, like, this is, like, what I'm doing. And it's, like, there's no compartmentalization for her. It's, like, all of this is my life. And so being able to see all of that, like, in a three-year-old is just, like, wow. Like, this is possible. Like, people can live this way. And it may have to be, like, just creating this whole new generation of kids that, like, this is just just the norm. And so it'll continue from that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Does anybody have any questions in the audience here? Yeah, can you, can you come up to the mic um, so everybody can hear you, please? Um, I appreciate all your sharing so much, and I very much resonate with your Catholic story, and um, it's precious for me, and yet there's so much that is not precious about it. And um, I also have daughters. And I'm, I'm just, I, and you just kind of spoke a little bit to what I was going to ask. But the connection and how, how you communicate that and keep that with your daughter as knowing what she's living in and growing up in a much more expansive worldview. Um, I'm just curious how you do, you know, how, how, how you're thinking or how you're bridging that to that definitive Catholic-ish, you know, ism, you know, how, how does that fit and how does that conversation and connection keep going? I mean, I think so much of it is just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, um, I think for the most part with me is that I am very intentional about living my life so authentically and so that she just sees that like so much of like what she does and what she's learned has not been things of me teaching her she's just seen me and my friends and the people in her life that this is what we do and so she's just picked up on that and so I think I mean and I think just as a whole like your actions are always a lot better than like anything that I could say to her 
so yeah it's just a lot of me living my life and then also like if things change being like okay actually I don't want to do that anymore or this isn't working for me and like being able to actually talk to her about that and saying like okay no like I'm not doing this anymore this is why like and being open to like just screwing up and making mistakes and that it's okay and I think it teaches her too that she doesn't have to stay stuck that like she can try something if this doesn't work for you and you don't identify as this anymore it's okay to just be like I don't want to do this anymore and I've done that probably way more than I should in her like short three years because but it shows her that like I yes I am the adult but like I'm still figuring this out too this is my first time and all of this my first time being a mom my first time being 34 like I don't know how to do any of this and so I think just showing that example to her is what has helped and that she can she can choose she doesn't have to like in terms of the specific catholic ishness like okay if this works for you take this part of it and like you can leave the rest of it you don't have to accept all of it thank you well thank you asada so much for joining and for taking the time to chat today thank you and thank you for your work in the world thank you for your voice and the importance of everything that you're offering really really appreciate you thank you yeah thank you thanks for taking the time to listen to today's episode to support this work and get sneak peeks of new episodes join me at patreon.com slash cassidy hall you can also learn more about me and my work at cassidyhall.com This podcast is created, produced, and edited by me, Cassidy Hall. Today's episode features the song Into the Deep by Daniele Musto. The podcast is created in partnership with The Christian Century, a progressive ecumenical magazine based in Chicago. You can find out more at christiancentury.org. The podcast is also created in partnership with Enfleshed, an organization focused on spiritual nourishment for collective liberation. For liturgical resources and tools, head over to enfleshed.com.